This morning, we're going to talk about spiritual warfare. And I subtitled it, The Armor for Victory. Many of you remember a movie that came out not too long ago. It was an amazing movie. The name of the movie was called The War Room. And if you remember in the movie itself, there was, a little, there was an old, a elderly lady that as the movie progressed, it began to reveal some things about her and her marriage. And then she was in the process of selling a home and there was a real estate agent by the name of Elizabeth. I think that was her name, Elizabeth. And she, the, the, the elder lady, prayed that the Lord will send someone in her life to mentor. So here comes Elizabeth to look at the house to sell it, unbeknownst to Elizabeth, that this lady was getting ready to show her what spiritual warfare was all about. In Elizabeth's life, her marriage was failing. Her husband was cheating. He was in, involved in embezzlement of the company, and he wasn't spending the quality time with her or with the, with the daughter that he needed, and they would just argue all day long, just fight all day long. That sounds familiar. Does that sound familiar? But when God sent this praying woman into the life of Elizabeth, she began to instruct her how to engage in spiritual warfare using the Word of God. Now, when she finally got it, this is what she began to do with what she learned about spiritual warfare. I got a clip. Do you mind if you don't roll that beautiful bean footage? I don't know where you are, devil, but I know you can hear me. You have played with my mind and had your way long enough. No more. You are done. Jesus is the Lord of this house. And that means there's no place for you here anymore. So take your lies, your schemes, and your accusations and get out in Jesus' name. can't have my man. This house is under new management and that means you are out. Now, let me give you a little bit of something about this scene. What you did not see was what led to this scene. You see, the enemy doesn't submit to you just because you say to submit. In the previous scene, she was in her closet. Notice what she had in her hand. She was reading a scripture that says, draw nigh to God, he will draw nigh to you, resist the devil, and he will flee. She said it three times. Draw nigh to God, he will draw nigh to you, resist the devil, and he will flee. At that moment, that word became a revelation to her, and she came out of that closet, and that's a good way to come out the closet. We'll, if you, once you get a revelation from God, it's good to come out the closet. And she had the word in her hand and she began to declare what the word had told her the success she could have. And she just, now, from a natural perspective, looking at that, you would think that is totally absurd. Because number one, who are you talking to? There's nobody in the house. You see, guys, spiritual warfare doesn't make sense to the natural mind. 
That's the first thing you need to understand. Spiritual warfare involves something other than the natural or the seen. It is involving something you cannot see, entities that you cannot put your hands on. So today, Ephesians is going to pull back the covers and reveal to us some things we need to understand. In the book of Ephesians, Paul does an incredible job of revealing a mystery to the believers at Ephesus. He said there was a mystery that God kept for himself from generations past. And the mystery was this, that he would unite both the Jews and the Gentiles into one body called the church. And all of that was kept hidden in God, but now he says it is being revealed through Christ, the apostles, by the Holy Spirit, and the Word. The formation of this mystery called the church. Not a building, not a denomination. People who understand and know that Jesus Christ is Lord and who have been redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus. And then he navigates all through the book. And what jumps out at us is that Paul talks about this spiritual realm, this heavenly realm, this principality realm. It's almost as if if you read through Ephesians, Paul is obsessed with this other realm. How do you know that? Look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. It says this, All praise to God, the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with him. So what is he doing? He's revealing that in that realm, our blessings are in that spirit realm. If you look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6, it says, For he has raised us up from the dead with Christ and is seated us with him in the heavenly realm. There it is again, because we are united with Christ. So what is he revealed to us? Not only are our blessings found in that realm as believers, but he says, Christ, we are seated with Christ in that same realm. Then he goes into another portion where he reveals something about this realm. In Ephesians chapter 10, 3 verse 10, it says, God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. What does he reveal to us? He says, not only is our blessings in this realm that we cannot see, Christ is seated in the realm that we cannot see. We are seated with Christ in this realm. Then he reveals to us demonic activities occur in this realm. But then after all of that, he comes back in Ephesians 6 and 12 and says, For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world, and against evil spirits in in the heavenly places. So we see our blessings are there. Christ is there. He has changed positions for us. We are seated with him. And then Ephesians Uh, Chapter 6, verse 12 says, demonic activities occur in that realm. Let me submit something to you. Is it possible that we're not seeing success and victory in areas of our lives because we are focusing on the visible physical, trying to solve the problem in the visible physical, and yet the problem itself is manifesting itself in the invisible spiritual? Because here's what you and I would need need to understand about spiritual warfare. That the visual physical is affected, which is the effect, 
by the causes of the invisible spiritual. In other words, we're trying to fight and solve the problem with the fruit without getting to the root. The fruit is what we see. The root is the unseen. So if we're going to be successful down here, we've got to understand what's taking place up there. And then because we are involved and engaged in warfare, God begins to reveal some things to us in Ephesians that Paul wants us to understand. Well, let's take a look at it. It says, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 through 5. It says this, for we are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. It says, we use God's weapons, mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down, here it is, strongholds, human reasonings, and destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God, and we capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey God. Now, stay right there. What is Paul revealing to us about these weapons. First of all, you need to understand, if you're trying to fight your marriage and you're using your mouth and it's not what God is saying, you're not going to win. Because he says here, even though we are humans, we do not wage wars as humans do. God has never given us the bazooka of righteousness or the drone of salvation. Those weapons will not cause us to get victory in this realm. But he says here, he says, God's mighty weapons, what are they used for? He says, number one, to knock down strongholds of what? Human reasonings. You see, human reasoning has the ability to hold us strong. Why? Because they're human. And they're they're part of the, the fallen nature of us and this world. So these strongholds are knocked down, human reasonings, and also to destroy, here's the other one, False arguments, human reasonings, and false arguments. And what do we do? We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We attack. You get the notion that the church has been empowered to advance versus just to sit down. And I find that too many times when the enemy comes in and begins to attack us, we fall on our knees and begin to cry the problem instead of praying the victory. The reason why, when we, as we navigate, you're going to notice all of the armament is front and not back because we were not created and birthed out of Jesus Christ to run. We were never created to run. And Paul is going to reveal this to us. Now, let's take a look at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 through 18, because this is where we're going to draw our attention to and turn our face to. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 through 18, it said, finally, a final word. Now, stop right there. After Paul has revealed the church, who are we in Christ Jesus? He reveals not only who we are, but he reveals where we're seated, that we've been seated in heavenly places. That's where our blessings. He reveals now as he navigates through the chapter, he talks about the church and God giving gifts. He ascended to hide. He gave gifts Uh, to the church. Then he talks about the relationship of the church. Then he talks about the function of the church. Then he talks about and compare the the church to a family. 
And what is the, the role of the husband and the role of the wife? And once he navigates, and then the responsibility of the children. Once he's gone through all of that, he opens up, get ready to close the book by saying, and finally, a final word. And here's the summarization of that. He says, I told you all that. He said, now, get ready to fight. And most people are like, God, this is not what I signed up for. This is not what I signed up for. He says, in light of everything I just revealed about you, who you are in me, he says, now I want to reveal something to you. And since until you get here, you're going to be living here, but there's some things you need to understand about your victory living here. He says this, finally, a final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the strategies, the, 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 the wiles and the, 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 the plans and schemes of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world, against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Let me stop right there. Here is Paul talking to believers. You would think as a believer, we would already know to keep that on. But Paul tells the believers, you need to put this on. Is it possible that we have armament, but we don't wear it? He says, put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil, or as one version says, the evil day. Then after the battle, you will be able to stand firm. After the battle, you will be able to stand firm. After the battle, you will be able to stand firm. After the battle, you will be able to stand firm. After the battle, you will stand firm. Paul is telling them, guys, here's the thing. You will, you will not be able to stand firm until you go through this thing. At the end of the fight is the standing firm and the victory. He says, stand your ground again, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows or in one verse, the fiery darts of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet. Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times on, and on every occasion. Stay alert. Be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Wow. That's a lot. If you notice several times, Paul encourages the church, stand firm, stand firm, stand firm, stand firm firm. The reason why he tells the church to stand firm is because when you stand, he, it is a position of facing your enemies so that now the position that you have in Christ as a result of Christ gives you victory So because we're not fighting for victory, we're fighting from the place of victory. That's why he tells you to stand firm in what Christ has already done. Now, here it is. There's coming a time, and Paul reviews it. He says, and look at verse 13. Put that back up, verse 13. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy. Here it is. In the times of evil or the evil day. Now, what is the evil time or the evil day? 
The evil time or the evil day, we know from a prophetic standpoint and eschatological standpoint that there's coming a time where the Antichrist will come and he will take over the world and he's going to do all that eschatologically, but God is going to come back and deal with that. But that's not what he's talking about. The evil day and the evil time is when Satan decides that he's going to unlatch and loose the hellhounds of, of, of his dark realm against your family, against your marriage, your job, your peace, your physical body. The evil day is when Satan turns his crosshairs on you. It is the evil time or the t- time of, of, of pressure when Satan decides, I've left you for a season, now I'm coming back to just, just unloose loose all of my fury upon you. And so what we want to do now, we want to take a look at the weapons. When you are facing that challenge in your marriage, when you're facing that challenge in your physical body, when you're facing that challenge with your children, there are some things that God has left us and Paul reveals to us in Ephesians that we need to be aware of. The first thing, we talk about the weapons uh, that defeat Satan. The first one is truth. Somebody say truth. Now, interesting, uh, just so that you know, Paul was under house arrest for three years when he wrote the book of Ephesians. And everywhere Paul went, he had Roman soldiers with him. And so as he was writing these, these, uh, this letter to the Christians at Ephesus, he got to this part of the, verse, the chapter and he started looking at the guys that were standing next to him. And he looked at this Roman soldier and he started looking at what he was wearing. And Paul went, aha, aha. He said, I'll talk about spiritual warfare. And then he begins to take and pick apart what this soldier who's guarding him and begin to take all these pieces and begin to put together a revelation about warfare. The first thing that Satan is after in your life is truth. Somebody say truth. But notice what he says. It is a belt. He says, look at Ephesians chapter 6 verse 14. He said, stand your ground putting on the belt of truth. Stand, put a belt. Now, many of us know, especially the men, we know, you know, we have to put a belt on because it holds our pants up. Some guys, you know, a little bit more blessed than others, and so you don't have to wear a belt. But a belt is designed to hold something in place. Satan is after the truth that has been revealed to us in the Word of God. What is truth? Truth is, absolute, is the absolute standard by which reality is measured. Truth is the absolute standard by which reality is measured. Or, here's another way of looking at truth. Truth is God's view on anything and everything. Truth is God's truth, is God's view on anything and everything. So what is Satan after? He's after the truth that you have learned. Now remember, he's talking to us as believers. And he's he's warning you to stand firm, tighten it up. Do not let your belt become loose where you get exposed. Tighten up your truth. Every now and then, you know, sometimes when it gets tough, you got to tighten that truth back up. Watch this. Look what it says here. In John chapter 14, verse 6, look what it says. Jesus told him after talking with Philip, and he told Philip where he was going and preparing a place. And Philip says, we don't know where you're going and how can we know the way? In verse 6, Jesus says this, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
Again, Jesus tell him, reveals to him an incredible truth. This is the truth he want you to understand, that Jesus said, I am the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No man come to the Father except by me. 99.9% of the religions today will tell you that's, that Jesus is a way among many ways to get to God. But Jesus revealed a truth to us that the enemy is trying to attack. And he says, and, and says that Jesus is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. And we cannot abandon that nor loosen that belt of truth up lest we go astray. Don't let the false religions and ideologies and philosophies of mankind tell you, or here's another one, the ideology of tolerance. The ideology of tolerance. Oh, to say that Jesus Christ is the only way to God, don't you, don't you think that makes you just a little bit intolerant of other religions? You know what? I'm a mailman. I didn't say this. I just carried a letter. <laughs> so if I bring a letter to your house and you're about to get evicted, don't shoot me. You did it. I'm just bringing the letter. Amen. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one come to the Father except through me. Look at John chapter 8, verse 29 through 32. Truth. Somebody say truth. And the one who sent me is with me, Jesus is speaking. He has not deserted me, for I always do what pleases him. Then many who heard him say these things believed in him. Jesus said to the apostles who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my, and you will know the, and the truth will make you free. It is not the truth that makes you free. It is the truth that you know that frees you. Anybody remember the Beverly Hillbillies? Come and listen to the story about a man named Jed, a poor mountaineer, barely kept his family fed. One day he was shooting at a coon, and up from the ground came a bubbling crude. Oh, that is black gold Texas tea. Well, the first thing you know, old Jed's a millionaire. millionaire. Ken folks said, Jed, move away from there. Stop right there. You see, here's what I want you to understand about Jed Clampett. They said it's a story about a poor man who barely kept his family fed. You see, the problem with that song was that Jed Clampett was only operating by the physical visible. He was already a millionaire. He just didn't know it. And there was something that needed to happen to reveal to him that he was already a millionaire. And you need to understand that many of you feel in the midst of your battle that you're, you're not victorious. But I want you to understand your victory is not based on what you see. It's based on the truth that you know. And don't let him move you from the truth that you know. But what's crazy about the Beverly Hillbillies, they moved after finding this incredible wealth. They moved to Beverly Hills, but guess what happened? They started, they continued living their old way and their old style. They never adjusted to this new level of wealth. And that's a picture of many Christians who get saved. God promised you victory, but you have another position, but you're still living like you don't have this victory. Come on, Jay Clampett, talk to us. He says, you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. 
I love, Pastor Ben came to our chapel uh, Friday and did an incredible message on, uh, I think, was it the true lies? The deadliest lies. And I sort of took a little part of that, so I'm you know, just going to let you know. Truth. The one objective Satan wants to do is he wants you, he wants to convince you that God either doesn't mean what he say when he said it in his word or that you have options to believe it or not. Look at Genesis chapter 3 verse 1. Let me go, let me go. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say? Did God really say you must not eat of the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? What he did was he created doubt concerning the truth of what God has spoken. And this is what he's after. He wants to create doubt by causing you to doubt his word by looking at the visible physical realm not understanding that you're in a whole nother place with God. And so if he can get you to look at the physical visible, the fruit, then you will not know how to attack the root of the problem. So he says, one, he says, hold fast, stand firm, tighten up your belt with truth, living word. Do not be moved from the truth because if you, the truth that you know is able to set you free. Amen? Let's move to the second, the second one. Righteousness. Somebody say righteousness. Okay, what is he after? Righteousness here is right living. Somebody say right living. Now, it's not right living based on human standard. Why? Because today, morality is subjective. Today, truth is subjective. Our culture today does not want absolute truth. Why? Because it, it places them in a narrow position where they have to follow something other than themselves. So he says, here is another one. He said, this righteous living. Ephesians chapter 6, 14, let's go there. It says, stand therefore. Again, notice he tells us the position. He says what? Stand. Not only stand in truth, but he said, stand in righteous living. Having your loins gird about with what? Truth. Notice righteousness and truth are connected. You see, you cannot live right with wrong information. You can only live right with right information. And that information comes from the truth of God's word. So many Christians want to confess Christ but not live Christ. Okay. Can I tell you what insanity is? Insanity is doing the same thing thinking you're going to get a different result. If you keep doing it opposite of God's way and you Looking for a different result? That's insanity. Notice he says when you tighten up your belt with truth and you're standing firm with truth, he says you are going to live righteously because you've submitted yourself to truth. Not just a truth, the truth. Okay, we're supposed to just move on, move on. Look what it says here. Ephesians chapter 4, look at this, righteous living. It says this, Ephesians 4, 21 to remember. If so... Be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth where? In Jesus. The truth where? In Jesus, in him. It says, throw off. Somebody say throw off. He said, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupt by lust and deception. Instead, let the spirit renew your what? Thoughts and your what? Attitudes. A true understanding of that I'm walking 
righteously and living right is that I have thrown off my old nature. I'm not deceiving anymore. And I'm allowing the Holy Spirit to change my thoughts and my attitudes. He says, put on a new nature, created to be like who? Wow. Put on a new nature that is created to look like God. Can I just witness protection program, leave that up. A witness protection program is designed to change your identity, to change your name. And they change your name, change your identity. They put you in a different place. Why? Because somebody's after you. Now, in order for that witness protection program to benefit you, you've got to submit to your new identity and your new position. You can't have a new name and a new position keep going to the same old places because your enemy knows where you go. The enemy has staked out the places you have visited. So what does he tell us with righteousness? He says, now that you have taken off this sinful nature, God has put you in a witness protection program. He's given you a new name. He's given you a new position, a place called heavenly realms. And he says, now that you have a new position, now that you have a new name, he says, stop visiting the old places. Because your enemy might be waiting for you at them old places. Wow. Put on this new man. What is... Righteousness. What does God tell us to do in Matthew? What does Matthew tell us to do? Look at Matthew 6.33. It says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added. He said, prioritize righteous living. He said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek first the kingdom. What is the kingdom? God's authority over everything. And then he says, I want you to seek not only God's authority, but I also want you to seek his righteousness. Seek his authority over you and then put as a priority every day you get up, you live intentionally to please him. Here's a key point about righteousness. Just like trash invites rats and roaches, wrongness invites demonic engagement. Wrongness invites demonic engagement. Notice, righteousness and righteous living is tied to what? Truth. Satan thrives in your life when you're not living by God's standard. Oh, you go to church, but somehow you're convinced that right living is optional for you as a Christian. That's not so. Now, let's move to the next one, the third one. He says, now that you have this truth in a belt and you have this righteousness tied together, he says, now, he says, you have the gospel of peace. Look at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 15. He says, and shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, the gospel of peace. Interesting. What is this peace? This peace that he's talking about is a state of readiness to share the gospel. But here's the crazy part about this. He wants you to put on, shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. When? During the time of your greatest spiritual battle. Wow, wait, let me see if I can put it another way you can understand. When all hell is breaking loose, he said, shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. What does that mean? That means, you see, there, you... When I grew up, you only had two, you know, three shoes, three types of things. You had Converse, 
you had uh, Adidas, and you had, I think, was it Reebok? There was only, no, uh, Keds, Keds, Keds. Only three. Walk into the store today, you've got running shoes. Miss Pat was telling me about all these different types of running shoes. you got this kind of shoe, that kind of shoe, and you got to be selected. you got that kind of basketball. And I'm like, oh, man, what? But it's good because it shows you that there was a shoe for everything. What he's saying is when you are in the midst of your battle, when everything is coming against you, he says, I want you to stand with your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. He says, now when you're in, in your most trying time, I want you to be able to have the opportunity to share the good news with somebody even in the midst of your own battle. So that when they hear the good news, they have no idea the hell you're going through. I'm going to say this. If you're going through hell, don't hold it. Keep going. In the midst of this evil time, he says, I want you to be prepared to share me with somebody. Because he don't want you to say gloom, despair, excessive agony. If it wasn't for bad luck, I have no luck at all. Gloom, despair, and agony on me. I believe that you can live a life of peace. There was two painters, very quickly, two painters. They asked these two painters to paint a picture of what peace looked like. One of the painters painted a, a scene and you had this shepherd and you had this, you know, these people and, and, and the lambs laying on this green grass and the, the water was flowing and the sun was shining. I mean, it was just, it was incredible. And man says, okay, awesome. Then the, the other artist painted a picture and it had lightning flashing. It had thunderclouds roaring and it was just, I mean, the trees was bending. It's like all hell was coming loose. But at the bottom right of the picture was a little bird perched on the rock and had little notes coming from its mouth. And he went, what? Can I tell you what true biblical peace looks like? It looks like that little bird. When all hell is breaking loose in you, you still sing your song. How do we know? Let's look at it. Isaiah 52, 6 and 7, it says this, But I will reveal my name to my people, and they will come to know his, its power. The name of God, its power. There it is. I reveal my name to my people, and it is the name that I give you where you will recognize its power. Then at last they will recognize that I am the one who speaks to them. How beautiful on the mountains or the feet of the messenger who brings good news. The good news of what? Peace and salvation. The news that God, the God of Israel reigns. What is biblical peace? Biblical peace is knowing in the midst of your evil day, when your marriage looks like it's about to fail, your kids have lost their mind, you have lost your job, this is what you do. You stand firm and say, God, I don't care what's going on in the visible physical. I know you reign and so I have victory. Wow. In Mark chapter 4, look, here's what that looks like. Chapter 4, it says, At the evening come, Jesus said to his disciples, Let's cross over to the other side. Somebody say other side. So they took, they took Jesus in a boat and started out living. The crowds finally behind him. Although other boats followed, they soon, but soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat, and it began to fill the water. Jesus was sleeping. Somebody say sleeping. He was sleeping. All hell was breaking loose on his disciples and Jesus was sleeping. No. Is it? Oh, see, when you clearly understand your place of position in heavenly places and the peace of God rule your heart, 
When you don't panic in the midst of circumstances, sometimes your spouse may interpret you as not caring about what you're going through. And say, no, I care. I just need you to know I'm operating in another level of peace. And if me worrying can change it, let me worry. Since worrying can't change it, let's give it to God. Okay. The disciples woke up, woke him up, shouting, teacher, don't you care? We're going to drown. As if the boat will sink, Jesus will stay on top of the water, and they will go bloop, bloop, bloop. You're laughing, but that's where some of us are. Lord, I just lost my job. Don't you care? I got to pay the bills. And God's like, chill. What you mean, chill? I got to pay this mortgage. Chill. I got this. When Jesus woke up, he (laughs) he rebuked the wind and the waves, and he said, silence, be still. And it wasn't a scream. He didn't go, hey, I am God. Shut up and be still. I think true biblical peace, he got up, shook his hair, (laughs) wring it out. See, I'm trying to do, I don't have no hair. He went to the front of the boat. He looked at the guys. Chill. (laughs) Suddenly, the winds stopped and there was a great calm. Then he asked them, he turned around, this is the part that just... Why were you afraid? What? What? Did you not? Did you not see what we saw? And you asking us what? You know why Jesus asked them why you were afraid? Because Jesus demonstrates to us he never looks at the visible physical. He looks at the invisible Spiritual. He understood his authority in a whole different realm. He's, now, this, watch this, watch this. He said, then the disciples absolutely terrified. Why would you be terrified at this point? He just started, killed your storm. And they said, who is this man? They asked each other. Even the winds and the waves obey him. Wow. Romans chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have already been made right, we have already been made right in God's sight. He did this. By what? Faith. We have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, did. We have, not only do you have peace with God, but you have the peace of God. My question to you, why are you panicking? If the Bible is true and Paul was revealed by the Holy Spirit that we have the peace of God and we can put on the peace of God, why are we panicking if the word is what you says it is? Is it possible you may not really believe what it's saying to you? Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now, what, stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. To sharing God's glory. Here's the key. God reigns and God is sovereign. You need to understand that. Number four, we're moving along. Here's another one, faith. Ephesians chapter 6, 16 says, in addition to all these things, To all of these, in addition to your truth and righteousness and peace, he says, in addition to all that, he says, now take up the shield of faith. Hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. 
here's what you understand, the shield of faith. It wasn't a shield that, that, that was sort of right here. It was a shield sort of like the size of a door that covered your entire body. Now, I don't know how many of you guys have seen it, but the Bible says here, it says the, the fiery darts are arrows of the enemy. I've seen these uh, uh, cowboys in any movies where the, they have a circle with the wagons. And then here's the thing, the, the, the soldiers and the people are f- shooting at the Indians with guns and the Indians are shooting at them with arrows. Unfair, unfair, so unfair. But all of a sudden, one, one Indian takes his arrow dips it in something and set it on fire, and then he shoots it. Now, to most of us, go like, why would he take a flaming arrow and shoot at a soldier that's firing a gun? He wasn't shooting at the soldier. He was shooting at the wagon to set the wagon on fire because here's what the Indian knew. The Indian knew that if I can set ablaze the wagon, he can't fight two fights. Can I tell you what the fiery darts are? They're distractions to your faith. If Satan can get you distracted by stuff, he can steal your faith in what God has already said. And Psalms 1, 18, 30, 32 say, God's way is perfect. All the Lord's promises proven true. That's, that's, that's what he says. He's a shield for all who look to him. For what? Protection. For who is God except the Lord? Who, but our God is a solid rock. God's arms are with strength and he makes my way perfect. He reveals to us. So here's three incredible keys. When he tells us to believe, stand firm in God's promises, what does he want us to hold our faith in and lock it in against the distractions? He don't want you to be distracted by, by this. What Christ says about us, what does the word says about you? Don't become distracted by that. Don't, get, don't change that. Don't let the enemy distract what Christ has said, what his promise to you is, are. And then he says, fiery darts have been used to distract you. He says, what is he trying to distract you from? What God has promised you and what God has said who you are as a result of your relationship with him. Don't let those fiery darts and those distractions distract you from it. Here's the fifth armament, salvation. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17, it says, put on the salvation as your helmet. And 1 Thessalonians 5, 7 to 8, it says, night is time when people sleep, drinkers get drunk. But let us who live in the light be clear-headed, protected by the armor of what? Faith, distractions moved, and love, and wearing as our helmet confidence of our salvation. You see, the head is to, to the body as the mind is to the soul. The head is to the body, what the mind is to the soul. And when a soldier put on his helmet, he was protecting his head. In such the same way, Paul says, I want you to put on your salvation to protect your soulish realm. Why is that? Because here he says this, that your salvation did not come by works. It came through Jesus Christ by faith. And if Satan can get you to see that by working and working and working, he can move you away from your position of grace and frustrate the grace of God. So understand your salvation was given to you as a gift, not by works, but by faith in Jesus Christ. 
Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6 through 10 says this, For he has raised us from the dead along Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. So we can point to us all, in all future ages examples of the incredible wealth, the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us as shown in and has uh, what he's done for all of us who is united with Christ. God saved you by his grace. Here it is, when you believe. He saved you by his grace when you believe. You can't take credit for this. This is not about you. It is a gift of God. Salvation is not a reward for good things you have done. So none of us can boast about it. Verse 10, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do good things He has planned long ago. What is the salvation? What is this helmet protecting? Our understanding of how we were saved. He said, don't let the enemy rob you of that. And finally, the word of God. This by far is the only offensive weapon that is given to you and I. But I want you to understand some things. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17, the final part, it says, and take on the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now, interesting, the word word here. It's not the Greek word agraphe, which means the book written, or logos, the content of the word. But the word here is the word rhema. The word here is the word rhema, which means utterance, declared, or spoken. The utterance word, the declared word, or the spoken word. He says, put on the sword of the Spirit. What he's saying is, in the midst of your trial and your temptation, what is coming out of your mouth? What, is, what are you uttering in the midst of your evil day? Because if the wrong stuff is coming out, it could spell your demise, not only of you, but of your marriage. Because the wrong stuff is being uttered. Look at Matthew chapter 4, 34. We're coming to the end. During the time of evil, during the time the devil came and said to him, Jesus, if you are the son of God, tell the... Tell these stones to become loaves of bread. And Jesus told him, Jesus said, no, the scriptures say it is written. Notice, people do not live by bread alone, but every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Look at verse 6 and 7. And then Satan again says, if you are the son of God, jump off. For the scripture said he will order his angels to protect you and they will hold you up less with their hands, and so you won't hurt yourself. But Jesus responded again. The scripture says, It is written, you must not test the Lord your God. And then finally, in Matthew 4 9, you think after the two times Satan would give up, he's a relentless foe, three strikes you're out. Here's what he says So I will give it all to you, took on a high pinnacle, if you kneel down and worship me. He says, Get out of here, Satan. Jesus told him, For the scriptures say, It is written, you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Revelation 10 11 says they overcame the enemy by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. In the midst of your evil day, what's coming out of your mouth? Is what's coming out of your mouth the rhema word, the the word of victory? And here's how that sounds. When your marriage is on the brink of disaster, here's what comes out of your mouth. Father, I thank you that you've caused me to triumph over every circumstance. Father, I thank you in the midst of what I'm seeing in my marriage that you promised me victory because I belong to you. Your word tells me that I belong to you and you have seated me in heavenly places, that I'm redeemed. And because I'm redeemed, I belong to you. And Father, I thank you in advance for victory in my marriage. My marriage will be healed. 
And even after praying that prayer, he or she gets worse. Paul tells in Ephesians, stand firm. Don't move. Stand firm. Finally, the final prayer, the final weapon is prayer. It says this, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And for me, that utterance, there it is, the rhema word will be given unto me that I may open my mouth and speak boldly the rhema word to make known the mystery of the gospel, which I'm an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly that I'll speak. So what is this? What is prayer? What is this prayer in the midst of our evil day and, the, and spiritual warfare? Here it is. Prayer is earthly permission for heavenly intervention. Prayer is earthly permission for heavenly intervention. As you stand to your feet, I'm going to close with Daniel chapter 10. As you stand to your feet. Daniel was a praying man. But Daniel's event reveals something to us about our consistency in prayer. And here's what it says. And behold, while Daniel was praying, a hand touched me, which set me upon my knees and upon the palms of my hand. And he said unto me, O Daniel, a man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak to you now. Stand upright, for unto you I am now sent. And when he had spoken this word, he said unto me, I stood trembling. Then said he unto unto me, Fear not, Daniel, for the first day that you did set your heart to understand and to chasten yourself before the Lord, the words that you spoke, that that you prayed, they were heard the first day. And I am come with the words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me for 21 days. But lo, Michael, one of the chief prince, came to help me. And I remained there with the kings of Persia. Now I am come to make you understand what shall befall your people in the latter days. For yet the vision is for many days. What did Daniel just say to us today? What did he... That Paul said to us about prayer. Prayer is earthly permission for heavenly intervention. The angel revealed to Daniel on the first day we heard you. And most of us would say, God, if you heard me on the first day, why didn't you move? Because there are some things that happens in the heavenly realm you need to understand. And that's why you can't give up praying for your children. That's why you can't give up praying for that sickness. That's why you can't give up praying for your nation. Because there are some things that are happening. The minute you pray, you say, your prayer sets heaven's power in motion to be demonstrated and manifest here in the earth. So today I want to pray for you. There are many of you that are facing incredible battles. And some of you right now are about to give up. Some of you are ready to throw in the towel. Some of you have already grabbed the white towel not this one, but, and you're already waving surrender. Can I share something with you? There is victory in surrender. But the surrender here must be to surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ in that area. Get out of the way and let God do his thing. Take your hands off of it so he can put his hands on it. And God is perfect in all his ways. Let me pray for you. Father, in the name of Jesus, Paul And Ephesians encourage us to stand. And so today we take Paul's revelation to the church of Ephesus and reveal it to the church at Homa. Stand therefore. Walk in truth. Live out your righteous life. 
be ready to share the word of God, the peace of God. Your salvation is intact. Your prayer is effectual and fervent. Just understand and know that the word of God is the rhema word. Speak the, the, the rhema word of God. Father, I declare victory over every area of the lives of your people. Satan, we come against your evil work. We come against you by the authority of the name of Jesus. For greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. We know your works and so you raise, God raise up a standard against the enemy's plan. And Lord, help us to submit to the authority of your word and the authority of your name. Father, I thank you for what you've already done. And may we stand in a place of victory. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Walk in victory. Amen.